Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Well, hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. We are already here Tuesday, of course, Tuesday. Well, you're going to notice that we're kind of copying a theme here, so I want to make reference to it right away. I had the opportunity to go into a lab at the University of Central Florida. And the professor slash doctor that runs lab is David Metcalf. He was showing me the projects that he's working on, which was quite fantastic. And the projects that he has are all kinds of different projects that deal with a whole bunch of different things. But the one that I focused mostly on was the one with autonomous driving. Now you're also going to notice there's gonna be another gentleman inside of here by the name of Glenn Cook. And he is one of the thought leaders when it comes to autonomous driving in the public sector, but more from the standpoint of using it as a ride service. And he is the CEO of Lake Nona Transportation based out of Orlando, Florida. So you're going to hear a little bit of a combination of conversation with David Medcalf, conversation with Glenn Cook. Take a listen to this today. See how it all works out. Tell me if you like it. Also, don't forget, Coming up this week, July 31st, our first episode of the Rated R Safety Show. So make sure that you do take a listen to that. And there is a special RSS feed for that particular one. It won't be tied into the standard Safety FM plug-in there. And also, just because people had asked, still some spots available for our August the 5th class taking place in Daytona Beach, Florida. So make sure that if you haven't signed up, you do sign up for it. It'll be hosted by Sheldon Primus and myself. So, hope to see you there. Enjoy the show. Now you can hear us around the world, streaming 24-7 at safetyfm.com. So, when you started going down this particular process of the project, because you have a, a pretty extensive background. I mean, you started off in Texas, and now you're here. Mm-hmm. When you were in NASA also. I know you said retirement job, but there has to be more, of course, to it than, <laughs> than just that. Why the decision to do this? Besides the retirement phase, of course. <laughs> Well, it was a way to stay connected to the latest and greatest innovations. It was a way to kind of give back and let other young people do what I had done really early in life when I was in my 20s to to figure out if there are ways to do what's called a spin-off and to take some of the stuff like you saw that we've developed in the lab here at the, the Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab and spin that out into industry and grow jobs, grow applications and uh, maybe in some cases just change the way things are done, disruptive technology. So that was really one of the main goals of doing this, kind of the ability to come in and do more than I could do out in the corporate world in terms of social need projects, helping out in Haiti, those emergency cards that you saw, some of the different types of, of projects we've done for STEM education too. A lot more opportunity to do that and serve the community from an academic post that's research oriented 
than I could from uh, industry. But you're still out in the corporate world to some extent too, based on the different businesses that you have. Yeah, we have a number of spinoffs from the laboratory and also some other um, companies that I had uh, formed before I even came to the university too. That, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a capitalist. They make money, you know, and they, they make money while I sleep. So those are the best type of companies, right? So, that's the, that's the so, best way uh, to do it. And then we also have an investment, a couple investment firms too, and a couple of nonprofits that we do a lot of work with. So I, uh, you know, keep busy probably at about the pace of Glenn, you know, an entrepreneurial pace too. So, uh, well, and then let me ask you that particular question if you don't mind. As you're doing this and you're doing the research side and then you're also going out into, we'll say, the, the corporate side of the world and the general public, how much of the information that you do inside of the lab ties into what you're doing on the on the corporate side? Yeah, it kind of depends on the application, but um, you know, this is this is the state of Florida, so we have a lot of uh, conflict of interest regulations too. So there's a lot of things that come out from my students that I never have any commercial or financial interest in whatsoever too, because I don't want it to ever look like I'm doing something other than just helping them too. But then there are other things that uh, are inventions of mine too, that if I go through and do a proper license through our commercialization office too, that they let us take out as faculty and try our hand at seeing if we can make a commercial go of it too. And I've had a number of successes, multi-million dollar successes out of the lab uh, in that vein as well too. Anything that we would know offhand as general public or? Um, yeah, the, the, there's probably a few things um, that you may have seen too. We've got a, there's a company that's spun off called Mobile Care, which does all of the tracking of uh, your electronic health records within the government too. So that's one that's been quite successful. I didn't have any commercial interest in that. It was a company called Ology Interactive and one of our uh, star students, David Rogers, who took that out too. But that's been a multi-million dollar success too. We have another one called Intercrowd, which um, you probably haven't heard of, but uh, they're a services company, one of only 20, plus, 20 some odd services companies for Workday, one of the big enterprise applications too. And that's been a very successful company. In just a few years, they've gone to you know, multi-million dollar success and 150 employees. So uh, that's grown very quickly too. And then a couple of our outside funds have recently been um, recognized by the governor too. One called Startup Nation Ventures for helping invest in Israel and bringing some of the technology from Israel over here to Florida. The Real View Imaging is an example of that Israeli technology that's being brought over here too. So those are a few of the ones that you may not have heard of. They're not household names yet, but uh, they are things that have kind of made a, a mark. So let's ask the question then: Computer graphics. <laughs> How does this evolve? I mean, you started off going going to the University of Austin for computer graphics, and we're here inside of your research lab. <laughs> That's not not the norm. How does yeah? How well, does this take place? early days um, of computer graphics. I got to work on one of the first Pixar RenderMan systems. University of Texas is one of the first places to have that, and it's an example of having access to some of the earliest technology and figuring out how to use that technology for some social good, some purpose too. I was one of the first people to figure out how to use the Macintosh for computer graphics. And I went to New York and that's what I taught all up and down Madison Avenue and IBM and GE and Trump and other places too and their organizations, how to do that. Even as, as I was 20 years old, I graduated from college early because I couldn't really afford to stay in college. Yeah. <laughs> so, Austin uh, will do that too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really inexpensive and I still couldn't <laughs> afford it. So, uh, so I, I empathize with a lot of the students who are here too who this might be their first uh, generation of college or they're you know, kind of barely able to afford the very low tuition we have here at UCF too. That was me uh, 
30 plus some odd years ago too. But uh, I always wanted to explore the latest technology. So computer graphics led to multimedia. Multimedia led to looking at using this for online education and then for digital health and Internet of Things. So there's been a progression of technologies and things like autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars have been on that progression. When you look at the Internet of Things and how smart cars are getting and how smart homes are getting, how smart the wearables that you might have on are getting too. That's really the trend that we're on for that. And then how do you connect those? That's where some of the technologies that aren't as glamorous that you don't see on the front end, like blockchain or right. back end to connect all these different technologies together, start to form this whole continuum too. And then making sure that they actually are serving some legitimate purpose for society, especially in the professions, is a lot of what we do here at the Institute for Simulation and Training and in our laboratory in particular. So with blockchain, I know that it's, we'll, <laughs> we'll say it's a newer technology. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that it's the way that the approach goes with how open it is, it will be adaptable? I do, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the platforms that we're seeing now, it's not just for your digital cash, your cryptocurrencies anymore. People are using it from anything as advanced, well, anything that needs to have trust on the internet. We're such a society that's having trouble with trust across there, across the, the globe with fake news and with voter fraud and with all, with all sorts of other type of fraud and abuse uh, within the financial systems too, that this is a way to instill some trust back in the systems. Because if you can't trust one organization or one person, surely you can trust a distributed system that everybody kind of checks in and says, yep, that's a legitimate, transaction that's a legitimate transaction and if you use that for things like health health records or people who might doctor their diploma too you can use it for your electronic universal transcript of the future you can use it for keeping track of land records keep keep track of of GovTech, who's paid taxes who hasn't registration licenses your license to be a doctor so there's not people running around pretending to be doctors so all sorts of things that have societal impact that you really do want those credentials to be certifiable too. You and, and really think, do want that. As you state that, that makes a lot of sense because I think that there's a lot of the be used for this. A lot of people mm -hmm. at the moment. I yeah. think that it's such an open. That's what we wrote about too. <laughs> Pharmaceutical counterfeiting across the globe is a huge thing. You look like you're taking something that looks like an antacid. Someone's injected antifreeze into it because it was cheaper, and you kill people. People do anything to make a dollar in that market too. If you have a way of certifying the whole supply chain from start to finish using blockchain, for instance, those are things that are gonna save a lot of lives too. And it's not a very expensive way to do it. So those are some of the examples of the types of things. There's even a group called called Dave, DAV, that's uh, distributed autonomous vehicles that's looking at how you could keep track of some of the autonomous vehicle data using Perfect. blockchain. There's no hints that you're trying to tell us by the name about the name Dave with your name being. I didn't have anything to do with the original creation of it, too. Yeah, distributed autonomous vehicles is what I'm pretty sure it stands for, and it's an operating group too across the globe too. But I've had the chance to meet with some of them and the other company, a blockchain company called Autonomous, that's looking at the connection between the two. So there are some hints even within this space too of that technology coming into play to help so us. So let's jump into that. So we have Glenn Cook here, and he's the owner of Lake Nona Transportation. As we have the discussion, what information are you trying to get from his vehicles in particular to go into the research that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, with our friends of Tesla at UCF, and also we uh, 
have uh, the donation of some of the data. We call, call people that do this data philanthropists. They donate their data for some common good too. We can see anything from how efficient a fleet is, which might be very beneficial to Glenn's business, to safety, to seeing when people uh, take a braking action or when they, they take back control from autonomous to um, regular manual driving mode to what conditions are in those areas. We can see all that data too and keep track of that. Maybe anonymize it so that you have it across a small fleet of vehicles. That'll give data to not only the manufacturers, but potentially to ride sharing services or transportation companies like Glenn that could be useful for looking at their operations, their efficiency. It could be useful for looking at tracking, just like Tesla does, the safety data over the course of time too, to see just how safe uh, self-driving or semi-autonomous vehicle features are when you have autopilot engaged. And those are some of the things that new stats have just come out in the past month too that uh, might be of interest to your audience on that. Yeah, we'll go over the, the actual stats here in a moment if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, sure. So right now, Glenn, in regards of the way that your organization is set up, are you mostly doing, let's say, autonomous vehicles? Is that what the majority of your fleet consists of? We only utilize Tesla. And we offer all three of the models, which is the S model, the three model, as well as the X model. Now, this is, of course, Lake Nona, just in case if you're not familiar with it, is in Orlando. Um, as we always know, we're always talking about Orlando, so this is another <laughs> Orlando plug, so come and visit. Uh, so when someone gets into your vehicle, do you give them options in regards of, do you say, hey, do you want to go and see how this thing works, or is it more surprised we're doing it, or how does that work? No, as soon as we usually pick up a passenger, it's something that's been provided through a sales funnel. Anything that is either through uh, platforms like Limo Anywhere, Get Transferred, uh, ground link, uh, Uber, Lyft. It's some type of sales funnel that we re receive an actual order. Uh, once the passenger gets in the vehicle, we let them know that they are in a Tesla model. And first thing that usually comes out of their mouth is, wow, does this vehicle have autopilot? And when they start asking the questions, then we tell them, well, would you like to see it? And then we can actually engage it. Uh, the Tesla Model X's and S's actually have a different way of engaging the autonomous feature, the self-driving feature. Uh, once we do that, we're on, usually on a, a road with a controlled environment. Uh, we try to do it on 528 here, which is a toll road or 417. Um, usually in a, in a better controlled environment where your general population vehicles are all heading in the same straight direction. And uh, the different levels of the software that's in a, a Tesla varies from year model. Um, anything past a 2016 has all eight cameras on it, so the hardware is different from a 2016 to a 17. So the software innately is also different of how the actual vehicle operates. Uh, when the uh, passenger gets in and we, they say, yeah, we want to see it, the driver engages the, the self-driving feature and the vehicle, just like David said, will either brake, uh, steer, uh, be able to accelerate, decelerate, depending on how they've uh, engaged the uh, cruise control in the vehicle. Uh, and now just recently, Tesla has come out with uh, a software version called 2019 16.2, which actually does navigation on off ramps and will deviate around a vehicle that might be uh, traveling slower than you are to, to pass them. So it's certain types of features that we're seeing that passengers get excited about. They want to see the safety aspect of it. And uh, it pre-warns you if there's a vehicle approaching you from the rear that you cannot make a lane change. And it also notifies the driver. Uh, the vibration in the steering wheel, like David, David was talking about, is, is uh, one of those very real things that keeps the driver more alert. 
Now, as you look at this, the technology seems like it's advancing more and more. You, there was a news story that you had shared with me previously that was showing that the car could see as far as in front of in front of the vehicle in front of the vehicle in front of it. If that makes Correct. sense. Correct. Are you seeing a lot of adjustments when you're driving? Where the car will adjust because of the the two vehicles ahead of it. It's or? it's always thinking a couple steps ahead, and you can really see and feel the difference. Um, whenever you would drive a fossil fuel vehicle, uh, you don't generally have that opportunity to feel or see past the vehicle in front of you, especially if it's a large truck. Uh, so the reality is the vehicle is smarter than we are. It's a smart vehicle, and we would rather utilize that technology for safety as opposed to being afraid of it. And one of the things that we're finding is it's also a cultural shift for people to even get into a vehicle that has the autonomous self-driving feature. So we'd rather educate and, and interact with the passenger as opposed to throwing it on them and say, hey, do you, guess what you're doing right now? You know, and, and it allows them the opportunity to also say, no, I don't, I don't want to engage in it right now. But honestly, I'd say less than two to three percent would actually say no. They really want to see it happen. <laughs> now, do a lot of the people that you have inside of your vehicle, passengers per se, um, are they booking your cars because they're Teslas? Is that what you're saying? Some are. The ones that are prearranged, yes. The ones that are on demand, like the Uber and Lyft platforms, no. The, those are just strictly on demand. And uh, we, we, we utilize every aspect of the Lyft and the uh, Uber platform just to collect the data. You know, it, could, it doesn't necessarily have to be a black car uh, order. It could be just the regular Uber X or regular ride share from Lyft. And we, we do it just to make sure we capture the data. So for our listeners that might be coming into the Orlando market, if they want to actually book a car with you, what would be the best way to go about it? When they come into the Orlando market, they can basically just call us on our, our office line, which is 407-558-8051, or they can uh, utilize any of the um, uh, platforms that we do with GroundLink, as well as Limo Anywhere, uh, and they can request our company, which is Lake Nona Transportation. And, they, and that will also give them a chauffeured service to and from any point to point where they might want to go. Very good. Now, let's go back for a moment, David, if you don't mind. If we could actually go over some of the stats that we had discussed. Um, you had said that the stats would show something different in regards of human driving opposed to autonomous driving. What are you seeing in regards to that with those particular research? Yeah, Tesla puts out a vehicle safety report every quarter, too. And they track uh, over the course of time, too. I was really surprised to see some of the, the latest stats, too. And um, some of the things that we're seeing compared to, like, uh, NHTSA's safety data is they say that there's one crash every 436,000 miles for just across all vehicles and across uh, all makes and models, too. Tesla, without with a manual driver is uh, one accident every 1.76 million miles during the same time period. And with autopilot engaged, it's one accident every 2.87 million miles. So if you think about the, the safety record of Tesla, you think about all, and that's just not having a crash. That's not what happens once you do have a crash, you know, which has proven to be uh, higher safety ratings too. That was pretty interesting to me too. So if people actually look at the data, they'll see that the car being vigilant and the driver being vigilant, which is what level two really means of autonomy too. You're still watching the road. You haven't just fallen asleep in the back seat with no driver. You're, you still have someone who's acting as a safety monitor and a manual driver to take over at any instant that the car beeps and alerts you or gives you any type of indicator too. So you almost think about the human and machine working together being better than either one operating by themselves too. 
is what that kind of shows at this level, at this point in time that we're at too. Based on the stats that you're saying, you're saying that this vehicle is almost seven times better than a human driving behind the wheel. Now for the last few years, Volvo had marketed their vehicle as a fatality proof car. <laughs> Do you think that they could actually still hold that? Well, I don't think there's anything, you know, with people still in it, you don't think there's anything, maybe, in a, maybe parked in a garage in a vault or something like that, there's a... Well, they, they, the way that but I do understand what they're saying. What yeah. they're claiming is that they're making their vehicles for them, for all of their vehicles to be 100% involved into an accident without someone dying. Yeah. So right now, based on the information that you stated, and also some of the research that I had done prior, if I remember correctly... The Model 3 is supposed to be the safest car that's out there, mm -hmm. followed by the Model S mm -hmm. and followed by the Model X. And this almost sounds like I'm plugging Tesla to death here, <laughs> which is not the case. But if those are the three safest cars, are they basing it solely off of people driving or the brand or is it, it being the autonomous vehicle that it is? Yeah, I think that was based on some of the initial safety ratings for the crash tests that uh, the NHTSA had done, too, was where that moniker you know whether it's a marketing moniker or whether it's just looking at the stats would come from too the on-road safety for volvo they've got a great track record for a long period of time too a much longer lifespan than uh, than tesla has for data too so i think there are some things that they can certainly say about their safety record too in there that make a lot of sense too but uh say so watch out for tesla from what you're seeing not only from the nitsa laboratory test but also the on-road vehicle safety stats for num the fewest number of crashes and fatalities to I'm, I'm understanding as well. So as we move forward, how long do you think we are away from being inside of a vehicle that has no wheel? Yeah, well, you've already got the uh, the, the low-speed Google uh, cars, that uh, the Waymo cars that don't have a steering wheel that are transporting people too. So in some ways it's already here, at least in the Silicon Valley and San Jose area too for how long it'll be before people feel really comfortable that they're not gonna have a steering wheel too. I still think that there's a consumer sentiment. Having seen this simulator that we have and how people react, I think people are gonna need a wheel for quite a while too. Not because of the technology, but because of human nature and the ability to feel somewhat in control of, of their environment too. The same type of people that don't feel comfortable on a roller coaster, the same type of people that don't feel comfortable when someone else is driving other than them too. There's a lot of people out there that fit that profile and uh, will rent a car before they'll take uh, a limousine service too, just because they're not as comfortable with someone else driving, even their own family members sometimes too, <laughs> you hear about too. And then there's those people that have grown up in an urban environment that aren't comfortable driving <laughs> too. And a lot of our millennials too, that they don't own a car. They don't want to own a car. They want to use an Uber or Lyft service or some other service when they need it. And that's all they want to do. Dr. Redcalf, if people want to know more about your research, where can they find more information about it? Yeah, we've got a lot of information on what we're doing at metal.org, M-E-T-I-L.org. And that might be one of the best places to find that. And then some of our stuff shows up in UCF News as well, too, for some of the things like our pilot that we have, uh, our co-pilot avatar for um, the work that we did with Boeing and some of the stuff we've done with the Florida Department of Transportation. And even some of the stuff we did early days with Tesla, when we, uh, my son and I broke the world record for the longest drive on one charge. To... Oh, I forgot to mention, I forgot to ask that question <laughs> oh, yeah, because well. it, it was it was a 17-hour drive, mm -hmm. 423 miles. Yeah, you got all the stats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a source. <laughs>
It doesn't say in the article what the prize was. <laughs> so yeah, the, 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 there, were, there was a number of prizes too. I think the biggest prize was getting calls and uh, tweets and emails from all the executives, including Elon, to uh, congratulate us on being the first uh, people to ever drive an electric car over 400 miles, a production electric car over 400 miles. But how did you pull and, it off? Uh, because if it took it took 17 hours to do, you had to be driving in a certain mode, a certain style. Yeah, well, you know, Florida, the first two letters, flat. You know? So, uh, you know, uh, that was the key. A lot of people had tried in California and it was just too hilly. So we picked a route that was very um, flat and very low speed. We, uh, we actually live close enough that there's back roads from where we live out on the coast, on Merritt Island, to the Florida Everglades. So we went around Lake Okeechobee and down into the Florida Everglades. Those roads are very slow. 25 to 35 miles an hour is what the, the posted speed limit is. Mm -hmm. So we were going through the Florida Panther Preserve, Shark Alley, um, some of those areas too, that are very slow and scenic and, and uh, didn't cause a lot of, wasn't driving 25 miles an hour on the freeway, <laughs> let's put it that way, <laughs> to to have, to go at the right speed to be able to do that. Uh, so it was, you know, low speed driving for a long period of time, but we also tried to pick a very efficient route with very few stoplights and very little traffic and leaving in the middle of the night to a lot of efficiency, inflating the tires just slightly more than the, uh, the recommended levels and stuff too. So those are all little things that we had learned that we thought from our NASA engineering buddies might uh, help us to, uh, to be able to do it and uh, to break the record too. Um, Elon gave us a, a car charger uh, station for, uh, for use wherever we wanted. We decided to put it here too and have it for testing. And uh, we also got uh, an upgrade to our uh, motor and to our battery pack. And my son got all sorts of signed swag from Elon and uh, signed autographed pictures and stuff like that too. So it was a lot of different things. And then we got invited for years and years. We've been invited to all the major launch events too as uh, Elon, one of Elon's guests, one of the guests of the company and stuff too. Even some of the ones that have only been a few hundred people at and stuff too. So it's been kind of nice, you know, get to kind of fly out to LA and kind of meet some of the people that my son has always kind of idolized too, that were some of the original, and it, certainly Elon, but other people like some of the, the actual engineers and inventors who came up with the battery technology, and Franz Van Holsen, who came up with the design of a lot of the, the cars that you see and you know, love in the Tesla fleets and stuff too. So that's been very special for our family to be able to, to get to do that and kind of be honored for that too so um so yeah so those are that's probably better than any you know monetary <laughs> awards or other stuff like that too but uh, so in the 17 hour drive that you did was it a constant 17 hours or was there we stopped once okay. needed one bathroom break in there so <laughs> well I, I mean I, more along the lines of you didn't stop like spend the night somewhere and then no no I just started at uh at uh midnight went through to the next uh, evening so yeah this was a long day yeah. endurance driving so <laughs> So are you in the Guinness World of World Records? No, we're in the World Record Academy. The Guinness Book of World Records um, had some other demands that didn't, like they wanted on a closed circuit track that, they, that was measured out rather than having a company measure it. Elon's um, grand prize, grand challenge, demanded it be on public roadways. So I had to choose which of the two. We did register with Guinness and then because we registered with Guinness, it's in the World Record Academy books. So. Uh, that's you know there's a couple of different world record uh, groups I'll, I'll and stuff too. We'll take it. Yeah, it's out there. You can go look it up and stuff too. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we we held the world record until a guy named uh, Bjorn Nyland broke it uh, a few years later in a, in a, a ninety um, instead of an eighty five uh, kilowatt uh, battery pack. And how many miles did he make it? Oh, I think he went over five hundred. 
um, at, well, he, I think the current is he's at f- over 550, because uh, he, he set a record and then broke it again. So you'd have to look it up and see exactly, but I think that that's what his uh, current one is. So my question is, were the air conditioner on or did you have the windows down or neither? It was December, so we actually had the windows cracked just slightly for part of it. Part of it we didn't even need the windows cracked too. In the the evening it was probably in the 50s, you know, Florida freezing they call it. uh, (laughs) And uh, it probably didn't get up to about 70, so we were quite comfortable. We had some electric, uh, little electric fans that weren't uh, touched to the the uh, media entertainment or the AC system. I had turned all that stuff off too, just to make it as efficient as possible as well too. So every little bit might've counted uh, too. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Dr. Metcalf and Glenn, I appreciate you both being on Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com. Wow, how things can change from one week to the next. Hey, hope everybody out there is staying healthy. I know everything is super crazy. We feel disoriented by the COVID-19 virus. It's more important than ever to stay connected and check in with your loved ones. That's why I'm so happy I've got T-Mobile. Listen, T-Mobile isn't just talking the talk. They're taking measures right now to make life easier for everyone by doing the right thing for their customers during this really critical time. For example, T-Mobile has ensured all current customers with data plans have access to unlimited smartphone data on their network for two months. We're all in this together. T-Mobile truly believes that. And while many T-Mobile stores are temporarily closed to help keep customers and employees healthy, they've still got you covered with any help you need. Just check out T-Mobile.com. You can see what stores are still open and how you can manage your account online. Stay safe out there. During congestion, customers using more than 50 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds prioritization. Video typically at 480p, capable device required.